Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by our host and star of this show, Jim Colonel. This is the Arms Race, episode 400 now. Uh, we're up over 62,000, closing in on 63,000 subscribers now. Challenged our audience to hit 60 before Christmas. We got up close to 62 by the new year, and, and we're just skyrocketing now in 2024. So, Jim, welcome back to your show, and Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Hey, thank you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to all the uh, listeners. I hope you had a great holiday, and uh, looking forward to a, a happy and healthy uh, 2024. Yep. And uh, so new beginning to the show. We ask our audience to have patience with us here. We've got some, we're, as we're getting more popular, we're getting sponsor opportunities. So uh, first want to thank Blackout Coffee, Be Awake, Not Woke. Uh, coffee will be on Jim Colonel 2024. So if at checkout, if you use capital letters, Jim C with the number 20, you get 20% off your first purchase. After that, it'll be 15% off. Second one is with Jaw Bats, the, the newest bat model that's going to be adopted into Major League Baseball this year. They're one of our new sponsors now. If you go to Jaw Bats, a great maple bats, very few grains. At checkout, use Capitals RVG. You'll get, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases, not just bats. They have all sorts of great equipment on there, but they specialize in bats. Great young group of guys. And then we have two new ad reads here. Hopefully you guys listen to them. Uh, they're supporting us. I hope you support them. Liquid IV and Zencaster. And with that, before we get going with Jim, I'll play those two ads for our audience here. Liquid IV is the category winning hydration brand fueling your well being. Their hydration multiplier is a great tasting, non GMO electrolyte drink mix powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster, more efficiently than water alone. Hydration isn't only for people training for championships and marathons, it's about daily maintenance. I use it when I travel watch my kids play in soccer or basketball games, back for back-to-back -back conference calls, or even neighborhood walks. Proper functional hydration is essential, and Liquid IV is the number one power, powdered hydration brand in America. Their hydration multiplier is the one product you're missing in your daily routine. For me, it's the Liquid IV flavors. They offer 12 unique flavors, from strawberry lemonade to Concord grape, my favorite, acai berry. One stick of liquid IV and 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. It contains five essential vitamins with three times the electrolytes of leading sports drinks. It's made from quality ingredients, non-GMO, free from gluten, dairy, and soy. That's why I'm asking you, take a look at this. This is for real people. It's got real flavors. It's real hydrating. And you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use our code RVG at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you stop, when you shop better hydration today using our promo code RVG at liquidiv.com. Zencaster. How to start podcasting with Zencaster. It's now the all-in-one solution making podcasting easy. It's the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content all from one dashboard. Being a creator has never been easier. Why did I choose Zencaster? Three years ago, I had never listened to a podcast. 
Now I've successfully produced almost 400 podcasts in the last two and a half years, all using Zencaster, and it's so easy. Log in using your browser and start recording a high-quality podcast right away. Record studio quality sound and up to 4,000 videos with your guests. Feel a sense of Zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. And it's all in one. If you have thought about podcasting before and realize that you need a lot of different tools and services, those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute to Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations. What am I asking from you? Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code, all capitals RVG, and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. So with that, I want to thank our newest supporters and appreciate our audience going through uh, you know, a few minutes of ad reads with us. But we didn't, I didn't want to break up content once we get going. So with that, episode 400, Jim, we've got a packed show today. We're, we've got some technical terms we're getting into, of course, with things like spin rate and whip and quality start and war. And I may ask you as we go, even though we do have a sophisticated, very intelligent audience, uh, to kind of go through some, some of those details uh, with them, tell them a little bit of what they, what they are and how they apply. But uh, where do you want to start today, bud? Well, listen, let's, let's do this. Um, I just want to kind of tag on and ex- expound on um, what we ended with last uh, podcast. We talked about spin rate and some of the things I've looked at and analysis I've done. Um, and quite frankly, from a, as with all the topics we've talked about, more of a observational standpoint and in my research and, and the questions I have as far as the value and the validity of any athlete, any analytic or any particular um, stat that uh, MLB or anybody might use to evaluate a pitcher. So, you know, we did talk about spin rate and, and the questions I had after the research was, you know, they, and I, and the research I had not to rehash the whole thing was I looked at the top spin rates of the top of the six pitches and I took fastball, curveball, slider, cutter, changeup, sweeper. And then I took the top 30 spin rates and I compared them. And then what I did was I just looked at the science and said, okay, you know, you, you have the top spin rate, say the curveball is 2,700 and the, 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 the 30th or 40th spin rate is 19 or, you know, 2000 RPMs. Right. So that's per minute. And I just said, okay, let's look at 60 feet, which is a half a second. And I realized that after looking at the research with all these pitches and all the rankings of spin rates, there's really only difference of anywhere from one to two to three revolutions per 60 feet of the ball when you have any of these pitches. So I'm going, is that really something that you can hang your hat on to say, hey, this pitcher is that much more valuable or that is going to be that his performance is going to be that much more greater because his curveball spins two times more to the plate. So, you know, that's that's kind of just an example. So I go, let me, you know, let me look at some of the other um, analytics that that we use today and, and, and some of the science behind it and some of the facts behind it and go, OK, what's the validity of it? And can it be used to really evaluate a pitcher's performance, their ceiling and what their value is in dollars to the club? So, you know, I looked at one. I just looked at the first one I looked at was whip, OK, which is walks and hits per innings pitch, right? Which is always quoted, used a lot when they look at a pitcher and rank them according to their performance in any given year. 
so when I looked at the, uh, and I compared it to ERA, right? So I looked at the top, say top 40 for WHIP, okay? Uh, it ranged from 0.098 to 0.132, okay, per inning. When I looked at the top 40 ERAs, it ranged from 0.2.5 to 4.78, okay? So what that tells me is that the difference between the number one whip and the number 40 whip pitcher was only really two hits or walks per start because the average start last year was 5.1 innings, the same as it was the year before. But the difference between the number one and 40 ERA was 2.53 runs. So basically, the number 40 ERA pitcher gave up two and a half more runs than the number one ERA starter, but really only gave up one more hit walk per start than the number one starter because his whip was 1.32 versus 1.19 for the starter who had an ERA of 2.25. So, so yeah, and very simply, right? You could have a starter who gives up a three-run home run in the first, and then throws blanks the next four innings, and he would have a lower WHIP than a starter who gave up a hit and a walk every inning, but gave up no runs in five innings and threw four blanks, threw five blanks, right? So, what that tells me, uh, as a former pitcher and somebody who evaluates and looks at the game. It's not the number of hits and walks you allow. Obviously, that does contribute, but it's really how well you prevent them from scoring. That's what pitching really is all about. And um, I believe it was Catfish Hunter who said this, and if he didn't, um, um, I apologize, but I remember him speaking in spring training, and he stated, and I'll paraphrase, he goes, pitching is not about giving up a two-run homer when you're up for nothing, it's about not giving up a run when you're up one, nothing. Right. So, so where, where that leads me to is, is quality starts. But my observation is from looking at reading writers and people who cover the game and this analytics explosion is that, is that it's, it's the, the, the valuing of pitchers is, is getting away from wins and losses and even ERA into soft contact, into whip, into we'll talk about quality starts, et cetera, et cetera, spin rate. And I'm going, okay, I, I did pitch and I, uh, I've worked with pitchers for the last 15 to 20 years. I, I think there's a lot more to it. And I think the ability to, uh, as Catfish Hunter stated, to understand what it takes to win. And um, when you give up a three-run home run, when you're up five-nothing, is a lot different than giving up two runs when you're up one-nothing. One yeah. And I think that is something that is becoming discounted uh, and minimized as far as evaluating pitchers. And we could get into a bigger conversation about that. But I think that's an important factor uh, that's being discounted as we get to just uh, as we get to the world of analytics and looking at just pure numbers and not the ability to perform in the mound and get it done when it needs to be get done when it needs to get done. I agree. I think to our audience now is, and if, if, if you noticed as you, as Jim was presenting, he gave you the number, 
but there was a story behind it. There was, uh, and people that are trying to grab onto analytics and I caution, I, I've, I'm a former professional player, former college coach, but I also have an advanced degree in analytics. So I've kind of been in, uh, in the middle of both worlds. So I'll, I'll talk from both sides a little bit. What becomes dangerous with analytics is when it becomes about a number, that number is opaque as we'll find out with war. I mean, people can't even figure out what the definition is of, of something like war, but we're talking whip here. But when people's livelihoods are hinged to one particular number without the story, like the salaries that go up and down with whip, um, that becomes a very dangerous, I call weapons of math destruction when they start putting this um, to, to music a little bit. So, I mean, great, great explanation of, of whip. And I, I love the stories with it. I agree with you. I think uh, ERA, for whatever reason, is discounted now. And um, the, the things like Catfish Hunter said, the the times you're giving up the runs. Uh, and the whole idea is to prevent runs or to minimize runs. So um, whip on its own is, is uh, to me is 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 no good. It's it's got to have a story with it. What what are some of the, what are what are some? Well, yeah, on, on that point, I agree. You know, like any like anything else or any issue. Okay, there are statistics that are valuable, but only in the context of how they fit into the entire picture. Yeah. Even with ERA. Now, obviously, that's a pretty broad barometer and takes into a lot of factors. But I'll give you two examples with that is number one, with the catfish hunter quote, okay, I could be 18 and 0, okay, and I can have a, a an ERA that's comparable to somebody who's 10 and 10. But when I'm winning five nothing, I give up a three-run home run. When I'm winning one nothing, I pitch a shutout. Okay, and that gets into, you know, as we talk quality starts, we give up three runs in six innings. But over the course of a large 162 game season, the IRA will even out and it and it tells a pretty good picture. But even that as a statistics, you need to look at the entire picture and say, what does the picture do at crunch time? What does the pitcher do when we're up six nothing? I don't care if a pitcher gives up a three run homer and we're up six nothing. I wanted to pitch a shutout when we're up one nothing because we're not going to score six runs every day, right? One more thing about ERA too, yeah. and I read this all the time, and even when I was coaching, your infielders are going to make errors, okay? Your outfielders are going to drop fly balls. Earn run average, you hear all the time. It's like, well, you know, he, he didn't get out of the inning. Uh, there was an error. There was an error with two outs, and then he gave up five runs, or he gave up four runs in a home run. I get it. It's not an unearned run, but as a pitcher, okay, I'm responsible for picking up my fielders, okay? If they're not going to get on my case for walking three guys in a row and giving up a four run, a, a grand slam, well, then likewise, I'm going to say, hey, listen, don't worry about that error. I'm, I'm striking the next guy out. We're getting off the, we're getting off the field. But you see this all the time where you'll read and go, oh, you had a good start. He had a quality start. Uh, he gave up seven runs, but three run earned. The, the shortstop dropped the ball or booted the ball. I go, that's pitching. Your infielder makes an error. You go, I got you. I'm striking the next guy out. Once again, that doesn't contribute to your RA. But to me, that's a big factor as far as a pitcher's ability to focus on the game and step up when the moment gets really big. Just an example. Just an example. I always thought, you know, they, they, they have in football the statistic or the analytic red zone offense, red zone defense. So when you get into that that crunch time inside the 20-yard line, that they start measuring people's abilities to, to make legitimate stops, holding them to a field goal counts for a certain amount, giving up a touchdown, obviously, is the 
the ultimate no-no. Um, and then things like third down conversion in football coming off the national championship, as you could probably tell last night. But I'd love to see a stat in baseball like that where, you know, what what is a pitcher's success rate when there is a runner on second? Because it's going to happen. I mean, it's it's whether it's an error, a walk, a stolen base, a hit, it's going to happen. And, and again, runner on third, where they have that kind of red zone red zone defense number. That would tell me a lot, um, maybe in addition to whip coupling. With well, I, I agree, you know, that, but there's two things about that. I agree a hundred percent. You know, I'd like to see what a pitcher's shutdown rate is. Okay. You know, the, the, the infielder makes an error and you, you, you basically shut, you know, you strike the next guy out and you're off the field and you prevented X, X amount of runs going to score. Or you said, was a man on third and man on second, do you shut the other team down? Now the ironic part of that is that would have been applicable in my perspective seven you know in 1970 maybe 40 50 years ago now when you get a runner on second base and it's the fifth inning that starting pitcher's getting taken out yes yeah. <laughs> so, so he doesn't have a chance to shut down because all of a sudden he gave up one hit after shutting the team out for five innings and they go to the uh, the the leverage guy for the sixth inning so I go love to see that I don't know whether it's applicable today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with a fresh arm coming out, shutting somebody yeah. else's. Anyway, but I think I think it's a good point because I think it speaks to pitching. Uh, yeah, what what pitching really is, as opposed to what they might think pitching is t- today. But that's that's what pitching was when I was pitching, and and you know, and 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 it was a different ball game. Uh, it was you know who could get it done in crunch time. Most of these pitchers are not allowed to stay around when it's crunch time. They're in the shower. Yes, they are. And it, there's always, what's, what do they call it? Well, depending upon the sport, load management right. seems to be the popular phrase. So there's such a need for everybody to be fresh. I'm using air well, there's, there's a lot of load management with starting pitchers, that's for sure. Yeah. And I'd love to see, and, and you, again, during your your time, you didn't always feel fresh. That's that's un, uh, unrealistic, especially midway through the year, toward the end of the year. Um, that, that's another thing that I think skews numbers nowadays. There were guys throwing, you know, we have Jim Cott on our network. We talked about him uh, prior to the show today. I mean, he, he was throwing, he was throwing what guys throw in a full season today well before the all-star break. And, um, you know, th- those things need to be counted as well. But uh, so you, you've got, uh, which direction do you want to know? Now? Oh, you've no, got- you, that's a good segue because um, we're, we're talking about, you know, Jim Cott throwing uh, more innings in a half a season than they do now. And obviously there's a lot of reasons that factor into that. But so the, the next thing I looked at was I was, I was always curious about quality start, right? And they always speak about quality start. And one pitcher last year, one writer was talking about, he's had 12 quality starts in a row and I'm going, okay, well, quality start is three, three runs, three earned runs or less in six innings. So to me, that comes out to a 4.50 ERA if they threw nine innings. So I go, okay, if that's your quality now, which they've been pretty much diluted, but that's the world as it is. But then I looked at, and I I wanted to kind of look at the um, number of innings because I've also read in the last, oh, over the last year, but specifically in the last couple of weeks, when they're looking at free agents and and what they're writing about or, and, uh, and, and quotes from executives and they go, Hey, this guy's, you know, really valuable. He's an innings eater. Well, you know, and I looked and go, he's average. So whenever they, whenever I read that quote, I go look at the career stats of that particular pitcher. And I go, he's averaged 180 innings a year. I go, 
he's eating a lot of snacks. I mean, I just, you know, whatever. So I kind of said, let me, let me look at this innings eater, right? Because here's important. Once again, let's take a, let's take a stat or let's take a comment and put it in the context of, of the real world, right? So every team plays 162 games and they nine inning games, right? So that comes out to 1,458 innings that somebody, that their staff has to eat. Okay. So I go, okay, let me, let me look at the top ERA teams, the top five and the bottom ERA teams. And let's see how, how, whether they're snack eaters or whether they're full course meal eaters. I was kind of curious, right? So I looked at the top five teams with ERA. It was the Brewers, the Padres, the Mariners, the Blue Jays, and the Rays. And I took their top five starters in games started. And I go, let me see how many innings they ate over the course of the season. The Brewers' top five starters ate 49% of the innings. Padres, 48%. Mariners, 55%. Oh my gosh, that was almost half. Uh, The Blue Jays ate 57%. And the Rays, it's not a shocker to me, ate only 41%. Okay. Now here's the kicker. I took the top, the bottom five, and I took a look at those teams. The White Sox, their top five starters only ate 46 innings. The Nationals, 50. The Royals, 41%. The Athletics, 41%. And the Rockies, 37%. Okay. So I'm going, where, who's eating the rest of those innings? Okay. Number one is you're paying your starters a heck of a lot of money to eat only anywhere from 37 to 55% of the innings. So you're divvying up, you know, half of your meals to your relief pitchers. So, you know, I I just, I I was kind of surprised. I wouldn't say I was surprised by that, but the numbers were even lower than I thought. Yeah. So it'll reflect eventually because as you said, and we see it on, all the sports channels, the starting pitchers are making astronomical salaries right now. And there has to be a, an adjustment in the market, I would imagine, at some time where middle relievers or these spot relievers have, have got to be worth more, paid more, because they're becoming more valuable to these games where starters are out, you know, after four and a third on a, on a traditional day. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, did, I did the study last year. And I looked at the starters for three months, and the average is 5.1 innings and 90 pitches. And, the, and I, I checked this year, and, this, and the, start, the average start was 5.1 again. So, you know, I, I'm just from a workload and a compensation um, uh, relationship, a cost, cost value or ROI, whatever, whatever business term you want to use. I'm just logically looking, saying you're, you're paying somebody $30, $35 million a year and they're pitching half the game, okay? <laughs> if I'm coming in and pitching, you know, the sixth and seventh inning, I, I want a chunk of that change. It would just, you know, that's a personal thing, but it just, to me, it just doesn't make any sense to reward starting pitchers to that degree when, and, you know, we'll get into this other, uh, other reasons why they're only pitching five innings or why you're only using them for five innings. And that's a whole nother conversation. It just, yeah. But to your point, I don't, I don't understand the financial logic of it, to be honest you would think with you. If, it's not you would my think, money, so I yeah. just, I'm looking as an observer. You would think if nothing else, because the common complaint looking at the game today is it's run by people who didn't play the game and decisions are being made. And their, their acumen is that, well, we're business people. We make based on treating these players almost like dividends or stocks. 
you would think the one solid thing they would do would, would make sound financial decisions, but I, I just don't get it. Apparently it makes sense to somebody, but it doesn't make yeah. sense to me. Well, yeah. And, you know, quite frankly, to add to that, so the, the, the result of that, when I, when I looked at those 50 pitchers, right, I looked at the top five and the bottom five, that's five starters per team, right? 38 of those, 38% of those starting pitchers had 125 or less innings last year. Okay. 60% of those 50 starting pitchers had 150 innings or less than last year. So wow. I thought your listeners would be, the, in the listening audience might find this interesting, right? Because this ties into me looking at it because I've had conversations with baseball writers and I've exchanged emails in my pursuit of, of my project. And the common refrain I've received is the pitching is so much better. The pitching is so much better. I've had writers argue with me on that, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't need to get into the details of the conversation. But let me just share this with your audience, which I think is pretty interesting. <clears throat> Mickey Lowich in 1971, he was 25 and 14. He threw 376 innings and had 29 complete games. Steve Carlton in 1972 was 27 and 10. He threw 346 innings through 30 complete games. Danny McLean, back-to-back in 68-69, 31-6, 34-9, innings, 325 innings, 28 complete games, 23 complete games. Bob Gibson, back-to-back, 28 complete games, 28 complete games back-to-back. Catfish Hunter, 1975, 23 and 14, 328 innings and 30 complete games. And my all-time favorite, who I've gotten to know and I've spoken to many times, uh, he's a hunting bunny of a good friend of mine, Fergie Jenkins, 68, 69, 70, 71, four consecutive years, innings pitched, 308, 311, 313, 325, Consecutive four years complete games, 20, 23, 24, and 30. Let's fast forward to 2023. Complete games, Jordan Lyles, three. Sandy Alcantara, three. So my question is, and I've tried to get an answer from the writers who have spoken to me about the pitching is so much better. As an observation, right, I'm going... Okay, Um, these guys all threw 300 innings, okay? That's two seasons or two and a half seasons for the pitchers I just mentioned. If every athlete in the universe has has it's accepted and understood that they've all gotten bigger, stronger, faster. If you look at the NFL in 1960, you had linemen who were 6'2", 210, who were running a 5'240". Now, as you saw last night, the tackle from Michigan, who was 6'5", 340, who chased down Panic, probably runs like a 4'940". So my question is, if pitchers and everybody has gotten so much stronger and bigger and more athletic, why Why are pitchers only throwing five innings? And why are they getting hurt, right? That's and they're hurt. getting hurt, right? So, you know, and let me add this caveat, okay? 
these pitchers here, Lowich, Carlton, now Mickey Lowich, okay, but let's take Carlton, Denny McClain, Bob Gibson, Catfish Hunter, Fergie Jenkins. They all threw anywhere from the low to mid 90s. That's a sign. That's a fact. With the old guy. You know, 92 to 95, Carlton, I, I read and, and talked to people, Carlton through 96, okay? Somewhere in that range. Jordan Lyles was clocked, has clocked his fastball at 92. Alcantara is 97. He's got a little heat today, right? But let's then throw in that scientific fact and go, wait a minute. They're being clocked out of the hand. Right. Carlton and McLean and the crew were clocked crossing the plate which is 7 to 9% difference. I'll just do this at 5% because I like to be conservative here, okay? So that means Jordan Lyle, if he pitched on the mound against Bob Gibson, would be throwing 88 miles an hour. Sandy Alcantara, if he got on the mound against Steve Carlton, would be clocked somewhere between 90 to 92. So I'm going, okay, you're telling me that they're all throwing harder. That's why they can only throw five innings. And I'm going, they're not. What's, yeah. Give me another. Give me another reason. I'm open to it, but give me another reason. I just right. <laughs> that's why, why. That's why I love. That's how we connected. And I love hearing your research and your approach to the game because I, I liken it to a boxer who you just never leave the center of the ring. Every time these guys look like they're going to slip out of something, you just casually move and very practically pose another point to them. And I think we need we need more of you. Um, and that's why I'm glad we're doing this podcast too. Those are very logical, you know very sound uh, counterpoints to what they're saying. And I'm as confused as you are. Yeah. It's just, you know, like I said, I, 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 I just look at the evidence and I look at what I see and I kind of try to connect the dots and go, okay, I get what you're saying here and door number one, but there's also door number two, door number three, door number four. Let's, let's open all the doors at one time and, and reconcile how they fit together. Right. So the, the other, you know, to add to that, right. And, the, the, you read this all the time. And I hear this from managers. I, I read this about pitching coaches. They always say the writers, everybody who, who talks about baseball, who coaches says, uh, you know, they, they can only go five or six because they can't go through the, the lineup three times. Okay. The, you know, the first three, second three, second time is maybe 220, 270. Then you get pitchers by the time they're third time around in the lineup, the hitters are batting 350. So I'm going, okay, um, that maybe makes statistically some sense. But in the perspective of, you know, um, Denny McClain, Ferguson Jenkins having or throwing 267 complete games in his career and the rest of these pitchers throwing anywhere from 200 to 250 complete games in the career, they certainly didn't have any trouble getting through the lineup three times. And that's only five of maybe – 300 pitchers back then. So I'm going, okay, so what's the logic here? Are the, are the hitters that much better now because the pitchers can't get through the lineup? Um, and, they, and, and to add to that, the average number of pitches in five innings is 90 pitches. So it's not like they're throwing 60 pitches and they're being pulled. They're averaging 90 pitches for five innings. So that gets thrown into the hopper also. But I'm going – Okay, there's got to be there's what's the explanation here? Because it appears that the pitchers who could go through the lineup three times were either better than the hitters back then or presently now because they can't go through the lineup. 
are they that much better than the hitters? There's got to be a reason for it other than we need to go to our high leverage, low leverage guys. Because as I said, I, I did an analysis last year, 18% of the pitchers threw 100 pitches in four innings or less. So, you know, I pitched a little bit and I've coached a little bit of pitching. If I get a pitcher who needs 100 pitches to get through four innings, I'm going either he's getting battered or he can't find the plate. Because other than that, that's almost a game. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, that whole sample size stuff, they, it's in a, they never take into account who. It's a blanket formula that has no context to it to say the third time around, the averages drop for the hitters, never accounting for the fact that hitters are, aren't dumb animals. They make adjustments. And, and I also want to remind the audience, I didn't do it in the, in the, the preamble because they, they know you by now, but when you say you pitched a little and coached a little, you, you, your professional baseball pitcher, a high draft pick for the New York Yankees, had a successful minor league career and was also an extremely successful high school coach in your area. So the audience does remember that. But I just want to remind them when, when, you're, uh, when you kind of give your, your background tongue-in-cheek saying you're, you, you pitched a little, you did a little more than that. So and um, well, the, I, uh, I, I appreciate that. It was, as I tell my, and my kids, it was a former, former, former life. But uh, I, I, I believe I do know a little about the game. And, and just a tad, I'd say. Just a uh, tad. So now with, um, and, and we, we talked about spin rate early on, and this is all kind of uh, connecting together. I think it gets the thing like spin rate as you're you're throwing it into all this that one pitch, how fast it spins. I love how they present it. They always present it like it's you know how many spins per minute that the ball takes. It take it's it gets to the plate in about three tenths of a second. Um, so the number of spins when they give you guys that formula out there that it takes, they're doing it by the minute. So you've got to divide it by sixty to get to the second, and then it takes three tenths of a second to see it. So again, you got to do some more math. To figure out their math, um, where well, yeah, that's basically it's sixty feet, right? It's sixty seconds, and then it's a half a second. I use the average, a half a second to get to the plate. So you just divide any spin right by one hundred and twenty, and that gives you the amount of spins per sixty feet. I mean, it's simple math. It's simple yeah. math. I really what's what's a, a ninety mile an hour fastball about? Do you, do you do you have that off the top? How many spins? Uh, no, I could, I could tell you that the average, there, there was an average spin rate, uh, on the fastball between the top number one fastball and number, number 40 fastball, probably somewhere between 2,500 to 1,900. And I'm just kind of remembering top of my head, but what, what, see, whatever, whatever that gap is to your point, it looks very large. Even this whip to get back to this, right? The number one whip was what I say, 0.98. The number 40 whip is 1.32. And you go, wow, that looks pretty significant as it stands alone, right? But when you look at it and you say, okay, let me then do the math, you go one hit or two hits or two walks more per five innings. That's significant. No, it's not, right? It's the same thing with the spin rate. It's all the same thing. The stat itself alone, but then you look at when you look into it and and actually look at the math, going that's not that big of a deal. There's a difference, yeah, but it's not gonna it's not gonna separate you from being a Hall of Fame pitcher and being a pedestrian pitcher. It's just it's not gonna close the gap <laughs> because you you could take a a person and it doesn't even have to say a professional athlete, and you could engineer their ball to have a a, a pretty high spin rate. 
without well, that. Hey, that's a really good point. I thought about this. <laughs> okay. I read, and I'll leave the name out of the pitcher and the GM um, because I'm not here to, to, to point fingers. I'm just here to make an observation and, and to speak about my observations. But I remember reading about, because I followed this one draft pick. It was a f- number seventh draft pick three years ago. And I heard about him. And I followed him and I Googled him and I looked at some, I looked at his throwing motion and I go, oh my gosh, this guy's, he's, he's dead man walking. But that's a, that, you know, we'll put that aside. But I, I read the comment by the general manager and the general manager in the organization was in love with this young pitcher, a high school pitcher, because of his spin rate. And the quote from the general manager was, he's got a God-given talent. Okay. So my first reaction was, okay. From an athletic perspective, it's all based upon God-given talent. It's DNA. Now, what you make of it, how hard you work, that's a whole different conversation. You know, you can make yourself into somebody and, 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 and build upon your DNA. So I go, everything's, everything's God-given. Everything's DNA, right? So that's one thing. Number two was, when I work with pitchers, okay, I have two or three drills to help them increase their spin rate or improve their curveball. I didn't want to say increase their spin rate. I never use that term when I work with a pitcher, just like I never use a, a radar gun. Okay. Never use, never, never even talk about velocity. They tell me they're throwing harder because I know they're throwing harder because they tell me. Okay. But that's besides the point. When I work with a pitcher and, and I see they're having trouble with their curveball, I have two or three drills that are really simple that help them improve their curveball, which obviously is helping them improve their spin rate. And, and one drill is this very simply. I tell them, let's get, I say, follow me. I'm going to get 20 feet away from the catcher. I'm not going to throw this ball hard. I'm basically just playing catch, but I'm going to show you. And I want you, the drill is I want you to create as much spin as you can to have as much drop on that curveball and break on that curveball as possible. And I'll play catch with the catcher. And the pitcher will look at me and go, oh, my gosh, how'd you do that? Okay. Now, I haven't pitched in over 40 years. Okay. It's, I'm not saying it's not difficult, but I'm saying you can, while anything might be God-given from an athletic perspective, don't tell me that you can't improve spin rate or work on somebody's curveball by allowing him to learn how to be more relaxed, by developing a better motion, because I do it all the time. So I just, you know, I don't mean to, you know, elaborate on that, but I just, when, when I read these comments from, from people supposedly in the game who know have trouble doing it on the mound, but for, for me to read and to listen to an executive, uh, it gets back to, putting the pieces together and how you evaluate a pitcher and what you're looking at. Okay. I was also, I'm not surprised, but when I looked at this young man's throwing motion and, and, and I just, I looked and said, he is going to get injured within the next year or two. So when I hear a general manager or somebody speak of a pitcher and what they're enamored about is his spin rate, there needs to be a but there. Now, I'm not saying that that's something that's going to I'm going to read about in the newspapers, okay, or about critiquing this. But when I when I read scouting reports, let's take it one step further. I also have looked at prospects because I'm curious to what the scouts will say. And all the prospects when they did that analysis of the top 
college prospects from last year, I looked at all their scattering reports. And all of them was spin rate. Oh, he's throwing velocity, blah, 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 blah. There was only one or two that might say what said, and I wouldn't name the pitcher, who said, well, you know, his throwing motion is a little unique. And I'm going, it's not unique. It's horrendous. Okay? So I'm looking, nobody is even focused on anything besides spin rate and velocity. Okay, which we talked about before, because my overall focus is what are youth pitchers here? What do they see and what do they read? So I continually hear, read and see what they're hearing and seeing and reading. And I'm going, this is not good for you guys. This is not good for you guys. Think, Think about our combined experience and how much we have to think about it and talk it through and try to make it sense. Can you imagine an uninformed, uneducated parent with a kid just trying to learn the game, absorbing all this stuff? No, I, I think that, and you, you made the point before, I, I think that uh, nobody has all the answers, right? But I think that was as with any issue, and um, whether it is baseball or anything in our society we've talked about, is that I think it's imperative and vital that everybody kind of steps back and, 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 and steps out of their wheelhouse and we, you know, I use the expression "look at the issue from ten thousand feet," um, and 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 see how all the pieces of the puzzle fit together, rather than hanging their hat on their own statistic, their own fact, their own personal agenda that wants to drive their story or their narrative, right? And I don't want to make this a bigger issue than it is, because obviously there's a lot going on in our world, but I think that. It's very analogous to what we see going on in that all these factors we've talked about, I don't care whether it's spin rate, whether it's velocity, whether it's three times around, whether it's soft contact, whatever the case may be, they're all parts of this puzzle. But if you're not willing to step back and weight all these parts of the puzzle and, and factor all these parts of the puzzle, you're never going to come up with a solution to the issue. It's just not going to happen. Right. So when I can when we talk about these things or I continue to read about these this particular issue with pitchers and injuries and, and, and et cetera, et cetera, I'm going you there's 16 different factors here and they're all weighted differently. You're picking one or you're all weighting in the same. And I go, that's not reality. It's just not reality. Right. Um, so, you know, it's I find it. I find it, I, I, you know, I find it interesting. Um, I find it challenging. You know, I, I kind of delve into this because I'm looking to kind of understand. And um, this is kind of what I see in some of the pieces I've tried to put together. Um, but, um, you know, it kind of it kind of leads us to the to the next thing we're talking about, uh, which I'll, I'll let you bring up. But it's kind of, yeah. you know, well, it's, it's probably the, the most curious of all the analytics formulas and that's war. I mean, it's, it is opaque. It is a big mystery out there. So, and they use it now as a hall of fame criteria War, you see it blastered. We're getting close to the hall of fame voting uh, going on now. And war is a component that they'll throw out there as a key factor to letting a guy in or not, not get in. Yeah. Um, I don't understand it. I, I don't have any interest, be honest with you. I don't have any interest in understanding it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not taking uh, uh, that's not to diminish the, the, the statistics, even though we can, well, I'll, I'll further that conversation. I just don't have the interest because 
I'm looking to evaluate the game differently, or I look at I look to evaluate pitchers differently. Um, so, so that's one that's one thing, right? Um, I don't think if I if we did a Gallup poll of 100 fans, I bet you 99 couldn't even begin to explain to you how they come up with war. So, um, you know, that's one that's one issue for the fan. I don't know how the pundits feel that this is furthering fan interest when they throw this statistic out uh, and, and nobody understands what that statistic means. Um, I don't know whether they think they're trying to convince the audience they're smarter than they are. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, I'm not going to make that judgment. All I know that is if you're looking to create fan interest and you're looking to create excitement in a game, you can't continually throw out a statistic that nobody understands. That's yeah. once again, that's just common sense to me. But like, what you know, what do I know? I've asked writers before when they put it out there, they they will defend it. Um, I mean, with like grim death. And I was like, well, what is war? And they'll again, they'll they'll read the acronym for me: wins above replacement. I was like, I know what that stands for, but what is it? And the, the deepest they can go is it's the value of a player above the average in the league. And um, it is so arbitrary because who's the average? It doesn't exist. They're just, it's some made up person that doesn't have a name or a position or a team or a context. And well, yeah, and, and let's, let's, let's this way. Like, but I, I'll throw a statistic at you, but just that in general, right? Once again, when they throw numbers out and it just, you know, and I'm just going to throw an arbitrary number and they go, a pitcher's got, he's got a war of 4.6, right? And they go, Compared to the other pitcher who's got a war of 3.9 or or 2.8, you go, okay, his war is higher, okay? But I'm going, well, I'm paying the pitcher who's got a war of 3.6, $35 million a year. I'm paying the pitcher who's got a war of 2.9, $10 million a year, Okay. I'm thinking that pitcher who's got, I'm paying $35 million, his war should be about 12. <laughs> but, but again, I don't know what the war represents because I don't know what, what one-tenth of war represents or one whole decimal point of war represents. So once again, as with whip or, or spin or any of these things, when you're throwing out numbers, they're only relative to what that particular number stands for as far as excellence and performance in comparison to another number you're comparing it to. So I have no idea what a 4.6 versus a 4.0 whip means. Does it mean the 4.6 pitcher won 16 games and the 4.0 pitcher won 10 games? I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, there should be some simple math with that, right? Where if they're, like you said, I, I, when you said the salary thing, I said, ah, that would make sense. Yeah. The guy with, with the highest war should be making you know, uh, a discriminant amount of money above the average. And that would be a great way to pay players if they wanted. Then I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's supposed to number going out. So here's, you know, so when I looked at war, right, I saw, because I was following uh, Aaron Nola and, and, and the Brinks trunk that he, the Brinks, the Brinks truck that he hauled off for his contract. And the article said, um, Nola has developed into one of the game's most reliable starters, having 200 innings per since 2018. Okay. Now I didn't want to get into the average there because, you know, the, the, some of that's weighted to 2018, 2019. That's not the point though. And he holds a, he holds a 26 war in the game in this span, right? He goes only behind Max Shear, Max Scherzer, 
Garrett Cole, Wheeler, and Jacob Grom. Okay, that makes sense. They're all pretty top pitchers, right? Probably the top five or six pitchers in the last, what, six, seven, eight years, right? But here's the thing. Scherzer has a higher war than Cole, okay? Scherzer's record over this period is 73-33 and with a 3.50 ERA. His war is 29.8. Cole, Garrett Cole, all right, who most people or pundits, I would guess, think might be the most um, established pitcher and successful pitcher in the last five or six years. His record is 79 and 33. So he's won six more games than Scherzer. And his ERA is 2.93 versus Scherzer's, who is 3.50. Yet his his uh, war is 2.97. So once again, 2.98 versus 2.97, what's one-tenth of a point? But I'm going, okay, I got a guy who's got an ERA that's a half a point higher, and his war is the same, and he's won six less games. So I'd like to know what they base war on. Yeah. Their their serves are picked better when the weather's under 40 degrees. I, I don't I don't know the answer to that. I ju- it's just a question, but I don't know the answer. Yeah, and there's several war formulas now. It started out with just war. Now there's B war and D war, and um, I think the ones like guys like Yadier Molina, who you know have a strong defensive presence and maybe catchers. They're trying to develop a formula now that I guess enhances their abilities to be appreciated post career in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I guess, I guess this is me, but it, once again, it, you know, it's, it's not my money. Uh, and, and I, I have other things to be concerned about in my life, but if, if I'm going to, I'm going to pay somebody 35, 30, 35 millions of dollars a year for six, seven years, I'm paying them to win games. I'm sorry. I'm paying them to walk off the mound with the W I'm paying them so that, you know, when they have a quality start, and it's six innings, and they give up three runs, okay, we've scored five. If it's six innings and we've scored one run, they've given up zero. That's my, that's my, that's my definition of a quality pitcher. It might not be somebody else's, but that's, that's how I kind of look at it. Unless, as I said to somebody, there are some teams that have so much money that they don't know what to do with it. Okay? Yeah. I'm, I'm being honest. No, it's it's uh it's a fair claim with that, and I was just trying to look up uh, while while we were going back and forth if there are you know we talked about four different ways to evaluate all independent um, in their own right, but are there legends in regards to the war category that just uh, they're Hall of Famers? We know they're good, but war tells us we're not. Or on the other end, where we know a guy who's you know who's who's not quite a Hall of Famer, but his war is off the charts. And is, is there, is there a minimum war? Like what's the, you know, batting average. We used to say, Hey, guys hit 300. They're, they're good. You know, you know, they're, they're a good hitter. Um, not that somebody hit 290 isn't, but that was kind of that benchmark. Is there a benchmark war right now? Well, I'll tell you what I'll do is now that you've piqued my curiosity, I'm going to go back for the next podcast. I'm going to take the legends. I'm going to take 10 legends and see what their war was and compare it to the wars of the 10 best pitchers the consensus of the 10 best pitchers now. And, and I want to see what their war is after they've thrown 5,000 innings and had 300 wins 
versus somebody who's thrown a thousand innings and has 75 wins. I want and and their ERA is 3.5 versus 2.4. I, I I'd like to I, I want to see what the comparative war is, and I'll come back with you with that list. Yeah, and I wonder what we'll have to take a look at what it minimizes, because I know like from a hitter's standpoint, again, I see things from that the hitter's perspective. The war does not um, take into account defense, so you get a guy or guys like a guy like Louis, Luis Aparicio, great defensive shortstop. His WAR is below fifty for his career, which is is considered dismal. But um, you know, eighteen year career, durable, almost five hundred plate appearances a year. I mean, the, and and the guy could play uh, the game at shortstop. One of the best, the greatest, one of the greatest defensive shortstops of all time. Um, but a guy like him or a guy like Bill Mazarowski, uh, a guy like Lou Brock, a uh, great base dealer, those guys have traditionally low wars. Um, and I think defense, I wonder what they discount with pitchers when they, when they yeah, I, I don't know. I think that, you know, you know, the different generations value players differently, uh, whether it's football, basketball or baseball. You know, I, I, we, we always get into that barroom conversation, you know, who's better, Mike Trout or Babe Ruth. I mean, it's, you know. Uh, to me, that's worth having a couple of beers, and that's about it. Uh, I always said that yeah. if if, DNA, if if Babe Ruth was born today <laughs> with his DNA and he had the training regimentation and the diet and the lifestyle of, of any of these pitchers, he might have averaged 120 home runs a year. <laughs> so, yeah. I go, come on, let's have a little perspective here. I mean, Babe Ruth, before the game, had three steaks, six beers, and, and, and whatever. Uh, his diet was legendary. And he out homered half of the major league teams. So yeah. take into account the the way the balls were made back then, as opposed yeah. to now. Yeah. It's 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 all those conversations are are nice barroom conversations, but they're farcical yeah. as far as I'm concerned. You know, yeah. standpoint. No, I agree. Now, did you have? I know we talked about um, maybe going through a pitcher of the week. Did you have somebody this week, or did we want to start that next week? Yeah, or- no, no, no. We'll we'll go into that. I'll, you know, we'll, we'll you, I I like to um, I, I peruse the papers and I I like to look at prospective uh, pitchers that are being bandied about as far as trades or um, you know free agents and and what people are writing about them and the writers and what the executives and base what baseball people are saying as far as how to evaluate a potential contract or potential pitcher. So I, I got a, the one, one I'd like to address or talk about this week. I got a kick out of was, was Blake Snell, uh, Blake Snell, who, um, who's had some success, obviously won two signing awards. Uh, the numbers being floated around are 200 million for seven years, which comes out to about $28 million a year. So I look at Blake Snell and I go, okay, I, 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 I'm going to put my general manager's hat on. And that's what I like to do. I go, okay, he's, you know, he's either pitching for me, I'm looking to trade for him, potential free agent. So I look and I go, okay, his career. He's, he's got four seasons where he's had a losing record, um, where four seasons his ERA has been over three and a half, three seasons where his ERA is over four and a half. Uh, his innings by year pitched. 89, 129, 180, 107, 128, 128, 180. Um, and, and they referred to him as an eating zitter. Innings eater, I'm sorry. So in his career, he's pitched 180 innings two times. Um, so that's one thing, right? Um, he's had both arm and abductor injuries. He's 31 years old, looking at a seven-year contract. So I go, okay, well, what are they saying about Blake Snell? And I got this from a New York Post article. And there's four executives that were interviewed. Because one, what first executive says, he's not logged a lot of big innings. And I, I laughed at this. And the, and the guy goes, it's a little like Tyler Glasnow. He might not pitch a lot for you, but when he does, he's going to be an ace. What, what he also left out is Tyler Glasnow has Tommy John surgery. 
he's had an oblique issue and, in my perspective, has one of the top three worst throwing motions in Major League Baseball. Okay, so number one. Number two, he goes, Snell's, Snell's stuff is off the chart. Curveball, slider, fastball. On paper, it's a wow. Combine it with other things, it's a less wow. Okay, so I'll mention this to your audience. When I look at a pitcher, I also look at their throwing motion, right? So the less wow for me and the concern for me as a general manager, and I'll get to this later in a, in a second, is how he throws the baseball. So if anybody wants to see what the analysis of, of my analysis of Snell, I'll give you my email address at the end, and I'd be very happy to send it to you. Okay, number three. Let's, I got a kick out of this one. I feel like he's a West Coast laid-back guy. Philly, Boston, New York, I don't see him thriving in those markets. Okay? What keeps me from loving him? The big pitch counts make him a 6-7 guy. Big stuff, lots of walks. Okay? Two parts of that. One is, I'm paying a guy $30 million a year to be my number one pitcher. Okay? Uh, I can, I, you know, I can work on his personality a little bit. Or more importantly... If I'm evaluating him, that's the least of my concerns. <laughs> I look at how he throws the baseball, his injury history, and the photos of 400 pictures I have who have his same throwing motion who have gotten hurt, and half of those have had Tommy John surgery, and I'm going, he's not going to last for three years, okay? <laughs> Number four, okay? Um, this one talks about Jordan's and Snell's war compared to Montgomery's war. So I, I couldn't even address that one. So anyway, so, so those are the four comments that these executives made. So we're going to have a little fun here. I said, he's Bor- Boros is his client, right? So we're going to role play here. And Scott comes into my office and he, and, he, and, he, and he does his sales pitch, right? And I would just basically look at Mr. Boros and say, number one, okay? He's had both arm and abductor injuries. He's 31 years old. Number two, I said, I would show Mr. Boros the photos of 500 injured pitchers I have whose throwing motion mirrors Mr. Snell's throwing motion. Then I will take on the other side the pictures of 250 pitchers I have whose throwing motion and arm path is exactly the same as Mr. Snell. Okay. And then number three, I would ask Mr. Boros, I said, you're asking for $200X million for seven years. I said, which Blake Snell am I going to get? Am I going to get the Cy Young Award winner? Or am I going to get the six and eight uh, with a 4.29 ERA? Okay. And, and it would be a really simple conversation. I, you know, and, and I understand the reality of the baseball world, but I also understand the reality of business and cost value. So <clears throat> here's my contract offer to Mr. Boros. I'd give Snell one year for $40 million. Or I'd even offer two years for $70 million. Or $45 million for one year with six options at $30 million apiece. Because... I'm going, he's not lasting seven years. More than likely, he's not lasting four years or three years without going on the IL with a significant arm injury. Okay. So what I don't understand, which is now, which is interesting about baseball, and I see this, we see this in the NFL, with the epidemic of pitching injuries and arm injuries 
and pitchers getting hurt at a rapid, just accelerated rate. As with the NFL, where they have degrees of contracts, some are guaranteed to a certain extent, some are non-guaranteed, I really have trouble giving a Blake Snell or any pitcher, okay, a, not a guaranteed contract for seven years. I'd give him tremendous amount of money up front, one year at a time, two year at a time. I'd give him a series of options like they do in the NFL. But I'm looking at it and going, I don't, I can't see him lasting. I can't see him being able to perform at that level with how he throws the baseball, and coupled with the fact that number one, now I'm throwing, I'm pitching, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay thirty million dollars a year for a pitcher who really is only a five and six inning pitching guy, pitcher, which goes back to our original conversation. You know, yeah. so um, I just, you know, I find it fascinating from a business perspective. Um, and 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 I, the only thing I related to is that um, I've read a lot about Bill Belichick and his, his uh, business MO with the Patriots. And I'm only going to make the observation that I don't think there's enough, there are too many, um, there aren't enough Bill Belichicks in the Major League Baseball uh, who would politely uh, say to Mr. Boros, I appreciate the offer, um, but, uh, you know, why don't you just, you know, take it out outside and, you know, don't let the door kick you in the butt. <laughs> go, go to the Giants, they'll pay you. Huh? Say so go to the Giants, they'll pay you. Or go or go to the Giants, go to the Dodgers, right? I mean, yeah. let's put it this way. I, you know, as, an, as, a, as a fan or somebody who observes the game, I think there's probably only, you know, I think MLB's issue, from my perspective, is only, there's only five or six teams that probably could afford to pay him that salary or that give him that length of a contract without robbing the, you know, without robbing uh, Fort Knox. Um, but that's, you know, that's not, like I say, that's not my issue. It's just an observation as far as the imbalance um, of, of the financial resources of the 30 teams. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm astounded from a business perspective and this is nothing against Blake Snell, probably a, a great kid, whatever the case may be, but with his track record, and, um, and the amount of money and length, it's not the amount of money, it's the length of the contract for pitchers, okay, Th- that really I'm amazed at, okay, with, with, and I guess the answer, part of the answer is what you and I have talked about. In any article I've read or any evaluation, nobody takes into consideration how they throw the baseball. So I guess part of my being astounded is I'm considering something that nobody's looking at or they're discounting. Let's put it this way. I can't believe they're not looking at it because they have motion captured film and they, and that's their job. So I'm assuming that they discount how they throw the baseball and how it relates to their arm injury history, or more importantly, their potential for future injury for future industry injury. Right. So when I when you and I have this conversation and I said I put on the general manager's hat, I'm really looking at how Blake Snell or anybody else throws the ball. And I'm comparing that to all the other pitchers I have evaluated who throw the ball exactly the same way, who have had serious injuries. Okay, And, you know, I could spend six shows giving you the list of those pitchers. But that's really what I guess as I tie this together and I put my GM hat on, I'm going, you don't see this. You don't, you know, you don't, you don't consider this when you're, when you're negotiating. And I guess the answer is that 
they discount it. Or as I said, you know, I didn't even be flippant. Some of these teams have so much money, they just don't care how they spend it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, uh, and I hope our audience grabs onto this today. You brought up the word puzzle earlier. They're trying to put a puzzle together. And I think that's, that's part of major league baseball's issue in a lot of sports where, um, you know, puzzles have a definite solution. They have an absolute answer. There's 86 pieces in the box. They all fit into a certain part. And what they're really, they need to look at is and look at sports and baseball as a mystery right now. It poses questions, sometimes really can't be answered, only framed based on the context. And I think you did a great job today of kind of presenting it that way uh, to, to our audience. And that's, that's how I encourage them to follow through, not just with their journey through sports and baseball, but through our podcast series here with you as well with, with the arms race. But, um, what you, you, and you are working on a solution. You've been doing it for a lifetime now, but it's, it, it's, it's back in action here. You want to give us an update on the website? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I certainly will. I just, I will add to that because you're hundred percent correct. And, you know, and we, we had a little fun today and, and I brought up some of these issues or my observations and, 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 and we're to tie that all in though. Okay. Because it goes back to my concern with youth and amateur pitchers and what they see, what they read, and what they're being taught, right? So the the Blake Snell situation is in a vacuum, okay? It's, it's an anecdotal example. And once again, nothing to do with Blake Snell or, 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 or his ability or his desire to pitch, whatever the case might be. I've never met Blake Snell. He's probably a great guy, right? But, but when, when you read that, and you see that and you hear that and, and it's tied into velocity, it's tied into spin rate, it's tied into all these analytical factors, okay, that that are being presented and now being digested by the 16, 17-year-old or the parent without the knowledge of understanding, hey, number one, you know, that's a far off dream. Number two is what do I really need to do to put my son in the best position that he can be the best pitcher or athlete he can be? And what are the building blocks to accomplish that? And how do I start with a foundation? That's really what all this is all about, right? So yeah, I can, you know, I can poke fun here, I can poke fun there, and we can be a little glib, uh, because that's part of my nature. After doing this for six years, I get a little, uh, it, it becomes a little funny money, if you can understand it. Uh, but it still comes down to what I see and what I observe and how I feel that is being translated and how it impacts what our youth pitchers and our young athletes are being, are being sold and, and, and how they're being told they have to develop. Right. And, and, and let me, before I get in one, just one quick thing. And, and, and two years ago, a year and a half ago, somebody sent me a video, MLB network, they did a 15-minute segment on spin rate. There were three men, three, 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 three individuals that were running, two, two, I'm sorry, two individuals that were doing the, the uh, spot. And they were all lauding Dustin May on his spin rate. And while they were lauding him on his spin rate and his curveball and his fastball, there were pictures of him and his throwing motion. And I'm going, in a 20-minute segment on spin rate, nobody wants to bring up that this young man's going to have an issue. Now, as an aside, I wrote the Dodgers two years ago and said, he's done. He's done, right? Now, he's had Tommy John surgery and he had elbow surgery this year, okay? So once again, this is not a sales pitch about 
what I can see or can't see. I'm saying you're talking about Dustin May's spin rate. Okay. He's going to have Tommy John surgery (laughs) and nobody's talking about that. They're just talking about his spin rate. So to me, I go, I'm a 16 year old. I'm watching this show. I look at Dustin May. I hear two experts lauding his curveball and his spin rate. I'm going, hey, I throw just like Dustin May. I can be in the major leagues. I'm going, no, you're going to have Tommy John surgery. You're going to get injured. Uh, I can't be any more plain than that. I can't be any more plain than that. Yeah. Anyway. No, I, I like it. I think for our audience, we're going to do a pitcher a week for you guys. So if you have a pitcher that you're interested in, I mean, Jim's ability to research knows no boundaries. He probably has most of the pictures done by now, but I've seen the research. I've seen the, the pictures. I've seen the analysis. Um, so we're going to treat you guys to one a week here. So if you have a request, please put it in. Um, and Jim will give you ways to contact him. Uh, as oh, we yeah. I'll, I'll let me let me do that. Out. And once again, hey, I, you know, I the guys in MLB Network, probably great guys. As, as with my other questions we're talking, I'd like to know why they don't consider how Dustin May throws the baseball to be a problem and why they ignore it or why they disregard it. That's all. I just, I'm yeah. curious, right? I'm curious about that. Um, that's how we met. Dave, tell me I'm wrong. That was yeah, it. That's all. That's all. That's all. It's, it's based on my observation and my research. Uh, you you, and my negated, the Italian, you negated the Italian in me when you said that. <laughs> tell me I'm wrong. That's, that's what we do. Uh, <laughs> no. Oh, hey, well, as I said before, two podcasts ago, uh, I don't mind somebody telling me I'm wrong. My wife and children tell me that 24 yeah, seven. So it's, right. I'm used to it. It's fine. I, I just, it's water off the duck's back yeah. anyway. Um, so listen, um, so getting back to the, uh, to your question, um, the, um, video series that I've produced, um, is finalized and, uh, the website will be up in about a week or so. Um, it's a really easy to navigate website. There's six baseballs on it. It talks about the tap goal, the athletic pitcher goal, um, the athletic pitcher, why the athletic pitcher, um, the success stories of young of coaches and young pitchers who have used it. Um, it talks about the uh, tap online program, and it also has a baseball click on that describes my online instruction um, and how I will be able to work with pitchers online by them providing me videos in my providing them both a graphic and vo- video voiceover instruction. Uh, so all that's going to be on the website. And then um, the video series and the online instruction will be available for purchase probably within a, in about a week or so. Um, so I'm hoping that that's something that um, we can promote um, because my goal is to is to help youth pitchers. As, as, as I say on the Athletic Pitcher Series, it's really simple. I'm looking to help youth pitchers improve their health, and I'm looking to help youth pitchers improve their performance. And based on the success I've had with pitchers anywhere from 14 to 22 years old, um, I firmly believe that um, by making some simple adjustments in the throwing motion, they become more athletic, they become more balanced, they become more stable. Um, As we said, creating, uh, using their lower half as the engine, and creating a steering wheel, their arm is a steering wheel, um, they can improve their performance and improve and decrease their risk of injury. Um, that's what I'm looking to do. And I'm, I'm hoping that uh, people will take a look at the website. And uh, if they're interested, 
that I can be reached at on jactap2 at gmail.com. As I said, I'd be happy to share my analysis of uh, Blake Snell's throwing motion with anybody who's who's interested. <laughs> you want to give the website now, or do you want to hold off till it's fully? Um, out? Uh, I'll hold up. I, I, you know, I'll get. I tell you what, I'll give it to you now. It's the it's it's the athleticpitcherseries.com. Um, is the name of the website, athleticpitcherseries.com. And um, I'm hopefully going to get up and running within a week or so. Got it. And, We're uh, excited for that. Yeah. So anyway, next if we, next podcast, we'll give an update, but I'm working on it right now. I got to go ahead that uh, all the videos are updated and everything's ready to run. So, you know, it always takes a couple of days to, to get it functioning. Um, but that's, that's my intent and that's my plan. And um, hopefully um, people will look at it and, and see that there's some substance there. Oh, they definitely will. We've got 60, almost 63,000 subscribers now. So we'll encourage all of them to, to take full advantage of that. And uh, I know I got a chance to see the preamble to it, what you had there in the pat, and it's phenomenal. I, I love it. And if I can digest it as a former hitter, then all you guys that are into pitching out there should love it. So uh, when it gets out, we'll blast that right out there for everybody to take advantage of. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're in, 46 different countries or 74 countries, I should say right now. So, um, you'll be, you'll be global in a hurry with this. Well, stuff. I appreciate that. I always wanted to be global. Um, Hey, listen, the other thing is that there's also a, a, one of the baseballs click on baseballs on the homepage is a trailer. Um, so it takes you through all five, uh, all five segments. So it gives you a real good idea of what the entire series is all about. It's kind of like a preview. I wanted people to be able to, to see a preview of what the five series, the five segments were. That's perfect. That's a, uh, I think it's a great way to do it. Um, you know, for our supporters out there now, thank you for your support. Uh, keep us climbing up the, the ranks here with the podcast network. And to our sponsors now, Blackout Coffee, Be Awake Not Woke, use Jim C 20 all caps at checkout. Coffee's on Jim Colonel this year, 2024, uh, in the arms race. So use that at checkout first for the first purchase. After that, it's 15% off in perpetuity. Uh, second, you heard our ad reads. Uh, please support those two groups as well. Liquid IV and our very own Zencaster here. And then Jaw Bats, the newest bat in Major League Baseball right now. Go to their website. A lot of different baseball parable that they specialize in these pristine handmade maple bats. Uh, Tanner has one. He's been using it already. Very few grains. You hitters know what that means. Uh, that's what you'll want. But use RVG, all caps, at checkout, and that'll get you uh, your discount on Tanner right now with whatever purchase you have with with jaw bats there. So uh, with that, Jim Colonel, thanks so much for today. Lots of information for our audience. Uh, episode 400 in the books with the arms race. Thanks, buddy. Well, I enjoyed it. Take care.